Welcome to Popcorn and Compliance, a podcast series where we take a look at movies and try to mine them for leadership and compliance lessons learned. I'm going to begin a series with my colleague Richard Lummis, where we're going to look at movies and we're going to focus a little bit more on leadership than compliance, but we'll also talk about some of the compliance lessons learned that you can use as you move forward moving up the ladder to hopefully become a chief compliance officer. It's going to be a fun series. I know you'll enjoy Richard's insights. He's got some great insights. Obviously a little little bit different than Jay Rosen and Megan Doherty, but that's what makes this series so great. I know you will enjoy it. Today, Richard Lummis and I take up one of the great all-time boxing movie favorites, Oscar-winning Rocky. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, right back. Hello, this is Richard Lummis, and I'm here with Tom Fox for another episode of Following Our Customs. We picked some best picture-winning films with leadership as a key theme to discuss. Our movie today needs little introduction, and I'm surprised we haven't covered it before. Casablanca was rushed into release in 1942 to take advantage of the publicity related to the Allied invasion of North Africa. It was nominated for eight Oscars and won Best Picture, Best Director from Michael Curtiz, and Best Adapted Screenplay in the following year's Academy Awards. As Wikipedia puts it, the film was a solid, if unspectacular, success in its initial run. It cost about a million dollars to make and grossed almost eight million, about equally split between domestic and foreign grosses. The film received generally good reviews, and despite a New Yorker review that described it as pretty tolerable, it's now regarded, of course, as one of the greatest films of all time. It's easy to quibble about some of the scenes in the film, such as when Captain Renault claims to have been there when the Americans blundered into Berlin in 1918, but the film retains remarkable emotional power and resonance. The movie is based on an unproduced play titled Everybody Comes to Rick's. It's set in 1941, prior to Pearl Harbor, and Richard Blaine runs a nightclub illegal casino in Casablanca, a city overrun with refugees fleeing the Nazi takeover of Europe. Claude Rains is Captain Renault, the corrupt Vichy French prefect of police. Sidney Greenstreet has a fairly minor role as Signore Ferrari, owner of the Blue Parrot, a downmarket competitor to Rick's Cafe American. Peter Lorre is Ugarte, a petty crook who steps up his game to murder two German couriers and steal priceless letters of transit, permitting the bearers to travel freely to neutral Portugal and thus escape to America. Paul Hunride is Victor Laszlo, a famous Czech resistance leader on the run from Nazis. And of course, Humphrey Bogart is Rick. Ingrid Bergman is Ilse Lund, the center of a love triangle between Laszlo and Rick. Dooley Wilson, who's actually a drummer, plays Sam, the piano player, as a friend and confidant of Rick. Plot should be familiar to all of you. If not, just go watch it right now. <laughs> and I won't bother to summarize the rest of it. It's, it's fairly complicated, but uh, just a lot of fun. Really is a wonderful film. Tom, what did you think about, what are your favorite scenes in this one? So I had a couple, and maybe I could pitch that question to you after I go over them. I have to say, for me, one of the greatest movie scenes of all time is when Captain Renault announced he's shocked, just shocked to find <laughs> gambling going on at Rick's Casino and shuts him down at the order of <clears throat> the German commander who has come into Casablanca. It is one, one thing about this movie is the timing, the timing of the lines, the timing of the retorts. That is great film editing, but the it's clear these actors 
enjoyed working with each other, and they did a, a great job. And when Rick asked, why are you shutting me down? That's when Renault says, I'm shocked to find that going on here. Immediately thereafter, uh, one of Rick's employees uh, comes up and gives Captain Renault his cut for the night. As someone who pontificates in business ethics upon occasion, that's a, a scene that I utilize a lot. Probably the most powerful scene for me is when they play La Marseille. And they do that when a group of what can best be called rowdy German officers are singing some German beer-drinking songs, much to the chagrin of everyone in the cafe. And uh, Victor Laszlo goes to the house band and orders them to play La Marche. Interestingly, they don't immediately do so. They look to Rick, and Rick nods, a short nod of the head, nevertheless perceptive. And certainly with the editing, it becomes much more powerful. And he leads the band in La Marseille. As the band plays La Marseille, the patrons of Rick's stand and begin to sing. And it is incredibly moving. The song itself is a greatly inspirational in national anthem of France. And it shows the power of a symbol, the power of music as a symbol, and the power of a symbol to, to really inspire people, because at the end there are many cries of Vive la France, to which the German commander notes with some forlornness. But to me, that was just a great scene, very powerful and very moving. What about to you? Any favorite scene? I love the scene of Rick with Yvonne, where she says, where were you last night? And his response is, that's so long ago, I don't remember. And where will you be tonight? I never make plans that far in advance. Cynic. <laughs> Cynic. And any scene with Sidney Greenstreet is wonderful. The, there's one where he says, as leader of all illegal activities in Casablanca, I'm an influential and respected man. <laughs> and then the other one is where he's attempting to buy Rick's and, and Sam as well. And he asks Rick, what do you want for Sam? And Rick's response is, I don't buy or sell human beings, which is interesting because the interracial friendship between Sam and Rick is kind of odd for the time period. But, and Ferrari just responds, ah, too bad. And of course, any scene with Renault, he's only a poor, corrupt official, as he describes himself. Right. Claude Rains is certainly one of my favorite actors. He was a great actor from uh, the 30s. He was the Invisible Man. I thought his role in the Lawrence of Arabia was great, and pretty much everything in between. I'd forgotten about him in Lawrence of Arabia, but yes, he was, uh, he, he was a wonderful character actor. Much missed. So what leadership lessons do you think we can draw from this? I think there's a couple of different leadership styles. Certainly Rick and Laszlo differ greatly. Yes. The, I was really intrigued in some of the research I did for this podcast that asked me to look at leadership in different ways. One was in actions and behaviors, which suggested that leaders may actually have preconditioned responses based upon sort of society, how we were brought up. And that those, of course, can be strengths, but they can also be weaknesses if you're not aware of them. Another part was rules of life building on these preconditioned responses. And a rule of life is something that defines our relationship. So certainly you and I have had a relationship for many years. The, and the number of people we have different types of relationships with is innumerable. But um, perhaps if you get preconditioned, if you let these rules of life define your going forward, you're constricting yourself too much. And then finally, the last point was, I mentioned this in the last pod that we did on Rocky, which is the stories and the embedded narratives that we tell. And once again, I'm not sure leaders really think about the stories they are telling. This is not your personal brand. This is not you as a leadership brand. This is a communication and educational tool that you utilize 
for a wide variety of stakeholders. And I would just, this may be something we need to explore a little bit further in this podcast series, but the stories that we tell as a part of ongoing communication, as a part of education, I thought uh, thought was important. That's an interesting interesting point. The, one of the things about Rick's character, of course, is that he has a very obscure past, I guess. It's unclear why he can't return to America. But, uh, <laughs> a little fuzzy. But it, and his shift from a romantic who supports the loyalists in Spain and the Ethiopians to the hard-boiled cynic and then back again, is it's great for dramatic effect. It seems a little unrealistic. So, Richard, one of the things that really surprised me in researching this for this podcast was not so much the leadership lessons, but the leadership lessons from Rick as a lover. And the love story is a central part of this movie, central part of this story. And I'd really not thought of the archetype lover as leadership lessons, but there were a few things that I thought were not only very applicable, but actually pretty useful going forward. So number one, leaders have a knack, love leaders have a knack for helping individuals and groups appreciate this, the each other. So as a leader, do you get those who work with you and for you to help each other? Second, love leaders often see themselves as peers, which was not something I'd really thought about. But to have that kind of relationship with another person, you have to have that type of, you're not lording over them. Number three, love leaders heal breaches through communication. That is one thing we've talked about in this podcast series is communication, but the healing through communication, and more importantly, listening, which is also another key theme of this podcast series. And then finally, this is certainly a lover lesson, but I hadn't thought about it as a leadership lesson, learning to let go. And as a business leader, sometimes it's time to move on. And that's something that certainly lovers have to learn to understand. But I was really a little bit surprised when I looked at some of the archetype lovers from the movies, and particularly in this movie, from the leadership perspective. Anything you saw around that? Well, that's a good point. The One of the things about this is Rick's bitterness means that he can't listen initially, and he holds on to his grudge and is unable to understand why Elsa abandoned him in Paris and won't even hear her ex- explanations. And it's only when he listens that he becomes able to transcend the bitterness and make the noble gesture at the end. That's a great point. I really hadn't thought about it in terms of it was actually listening. I'd really focused on the line where I think he says that she pretended to love me and I let her. (laughs) And now that you say it, it really was about listening because it was through listening not only did he come to understand her position and why she made the decisions and choices she made, but also he understood there was a greater... uh, something greater than him and that love affair at play here and that he needed to consider that as well. Yeah, and uh, I guess the other lesson is don't drink an entire bottle of whiskey before you meet your uh, meet your exes. The, the nobility uh, displayed by Rick at the end is interesting because the Laszlo character is really one-dimensional. He's just a stick figure of nobility and courage and it just seems singularly unappealing as a human being. But that was actually his role. He was supposed to be nothing but an inspirational image. That's absolutely correct. But also I learned a couple of things, or I got a couple of insights from that nobility as a leadership lesson. The first is that uh, because Laszlo did not really push the, the issue, he allowed Rick to grow. And he allowed Rick to fill a role 
that perhaps Laszlo knew he could do, but Rick didn't know. And if we go back to a prior podcast where we took a look at Rocky, his trainer Mick knew or, or believed Rocky had talent, but Rocky didn't believe enough of himself. And so the by um, a series of outside factors from Laszlo, he allowed Rick to see that he did have something to contribute, and it was significant in a different way than Victor Laszlo was going to contribute. I think one of the leadership lessons I got just watching this film and trying to look at it from a leadership viewpoint was Rick's skill as a personnel manager. He had the head of the leading bank in Amsterdam working as his pastry, but when Emile, the corrupt croupier, loses a bet, he pays it and says, forget about it, it happens. He's, his bartenders, his waiters, it's he has a very close personal relationship with all of them, but he allows them to lead with their strengths. The other lesson from around nobility was to be passionate about what you believe in. I think passion can be communicated. I think passion is something that most of us strive to be around. And if we have a leader that we believe is passionate in whatever field we're, you are in or we are in, I think that can help drive all of us to Perhaps a greater... That, I think that's true. Certainly this movie features a lot of characters who are not passionate. They are absolutely cold-blooded like Renault and Strasser. And I could even say Ferrari and Ugarte. I was going to say Ferrari. <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps. I guess they're... And Ferrari, of course, ends up owning Ricks. So he probably comes out ahead in the game. He does. There were also some leadership lessons that I was a little surprised that to come across around kindness and compassion. And these are typically topics that I don't think of as leadership talk topics. Let me maybe explore these and see where they may come out for you. The first one is to be patient, that most of the residents of Casablanca were waiting to immigrate to someplace safer, and that it's easier to be tolerant when you realize others are wrestling with the same issue. The second was, and this goes back to the ancient Greeks, extend hospitality, I think what the Greeks called it. When Ilsa does come into Rick's, he extends uh, hospitality to her, and he extends hospitality to Victor Laszlo. A third one is something I don't think we talk about very much, which is uh, live in the present, which is, and you talked about this in terms of his... Um, bitterness and brooding over what had happened in Paris. And it's only when he overcomes that and he's able to move into the present. The one theme is to keep trying. Rick starts out being way too jealous to help Ingrid and her husband, and he gives himself time, does that chance to become kind, and then expand your thinking. Rick decides that the problems of three people are but a hill of beans compared to the world peace, or at least fighting the Nazis. And certainly while your welfare is important, you can develop a perspective of validating the experience of others as Anything there resonate, or perhaps you see things in a different direction? No, I think that's absolutely true. The, and the, uh, the portrayal of the refugees in Casablanca is interesting. It's not terribly well fleshed out in the movie, but it does make you think about them. They've all fled something. They're trying to sell their possessions. Diamonds are practically worthless because everyone's trying to sell them. But they are all living very much in the present because they have no future, which is a kind of negative way to look at it. And then, Richard, I found some lessons on compassion, which also really gave me a different perspective on leadership. So some of the compassion lessons that apply to leaders, one we've talked about, communicate. It's really only when Rick is honest with Ilsa and himself that he understands what happened in Paris and it allows him to move forward. A second one, though, is I found this interesting, do meaningful work. I think Rick recognizes that he has basically put himself in a mental suicide position 
in Casablanca and not allowing himself to feel, think, or heal, and that uh, by changing and doing some meaningful work, uh, or at least he's off to do meaningful work at the end of the movie, that uh, that will change. Went to Casablanca for his health. For the waters. (laughs) For Team Up. We had a beautiful friendships in the movie, so when you team up with someone, perhaps uh, you can do more than you can yourself. Obviously, a long-term thinking is something that we saw at the end of the movie. As well, some things around compassion that I thought were good leadership. But is, and certainly Rick displays compassion when he allows the young Hungarian couple to, to win the money they need to purchase the exit visa instead of her earning it the old-fashioned way with Captain <sighs> Renault. I'm not sure I would categorize Renault as compassionate, although he does end up delivering exit visas for a lot of people. See, I always interpreted that she gave it up, and that's when, after that, she was able to persuade or have the exit visas issue. But you're absolutely right. Perhaps Captain Renault was not thinking long-term, but he did at the end. Yeah. Richard, what are some of your final thoughts on this? Final thought is, I should watch this movie at least once a year, forever, because <laughs> it just makes you feel good. It's got some timeless themes of honor and sacrifice, and I guess the transience of love but also its permanence. It's just an interesting mix. I really can't say enough about this movie. It's certainly one of my top, certainly five, maybe even top three movies. I try to watch it as you do once a year at least. The number of scenes that are just great, everyone loves. The <clears throat> I'm a big cinephile, and from the technical aspect, I think it's a whiz-bang of editing and music. I think the acting is first-rate, the screenwriting was also quite good. I really give it some of my highest marks, and if you haven't seen it in a while, check it out. Definitely, and uh, I think it was Roger Ebert who said it was the number two film of all time after Citizen Kane, but he acknowledged that it was far more popular and accessible than Citizen Kane, which I thought was an interesting comparison. Yeah, absolutely. If you haven't seen it in a while, pick it up, or I guess stream it now. Anyway, for now, this is Richard Lummis and Tom Fox. Hope you listen next time. This is Tom Fox again. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Popcorn and Compliance. If you haven't checked out my newest short series, Never the Same, I hope you will do so. It's a series focused on how business has changed forever after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I did this with Brandon Daniels, CEO, President at Exeter. We took up five topics, supply chain, trade and economic sanctions, and I brought her in on corruption compliance, cybersecurity, and ESG. I know you'll enjoy it and find it very interesting, all on the Compliance Podcast Network. We look forward to visiting with you again on Popcorn and Compliance. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.